Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Threads of Autism podcast. Today's episode is titled, My Autistic Child is Nonverbal, but He Can Talk. Huh? If you're wondering where that came from, I'll explain in a second. Just to say before we begin, thank you all for tuning in. Please do spread the word and share amongst your family, friends, anyone who you think may be interested in learning a bit about autism and, and increasingly teenagers, neurodiverse families, relationships with husbands, wives, etc. <laughs> it's tell all here in a very honest and hopefully uplifting fashion. Episodes are released fortnightly on a Friday morning and you can access them anytime um, for free from wherever you get your podcasts. At the moment, just to say as well, I know I've been hinting on my newsletters and things that there is change happening and that will be with my website that is autismthreads.co.uk and to please look out literally in the next day or two for some really big price drops. I'm going to downsize particularly on the t-shirt front so lots of wonderful fashion t-shirts as well as supportive caption t-shirts and t-shirts that just help us to raise awareness and start conversations. So do look out for those uh, price drops in the next couple of days. So right back to that title, it's along the lines and actually pretty much the very first t-shirt caption that I came up with and my son still wears the t-shirt, he loves that t-shirt. It's not apparent whether or not he can read, I think he can, but anyway. He loves it, it's comfortable to wear, it's lovely blue colour, the print is in a gorgeous navy, it's tasteful, the caption is on the back of the t-shirt and he has just been happily, obviously cost price from mum, going up in size by size. Interestingly, daughter, neurotypical 18 year old almost, loves wearing it too. <laughs> and you'll find this really amusing because this is literally the wording on the back. I am non-verbal but I can talk. Huh? Ask my parent. And honestly, my daughter wears it. So I'll tell you why in a sec. And again, I mean, why? Why would I create a t-shirt like this? i tell you why I did it. <laughs> I did it to help start conversations. I did it to help other people set their expectations. And I did it to invite people to ask a question because as a parent, that is all I ever want anybody to do is to just ask me a question. And how will they know to ask a question if they cannot visually see anything is different with my child. You know, autism is not visually recognizable, let alone the fact that he is not able to socially communicate. So he is not going to say hello when I have met you and I go, this is my son, Henry, and they go, hi, Henry, and he doesn't say hello. I mean, let's think about how abstract the word hello is anyway. Utterly ridiculous for the autistic brain to get their head around, but anyway. And the judgment happens literally in that split second. And, and we're expecting other people not to judge us, but of course they would. You would make that exact same judgment if you knew a perfectly neurotypical child was introduced to you and didn't even bother to say hello. That would be your judgment. Hmm. Hasn't been taught many manners or a bit rude or not a nice kid or like, wow, mum, you haven't taught him much. All those things flash through your head in a nanosecond. Our children are judged and we're expecting people not to judge, but they don't know. So the whole idea around all the caption t-shirts really is not to be loud, shouty, leery statements. They are subtle, tasteful, informative captions for just that one or two people standing nearby or in a queue to then encourage them to just ask questions. And 
And again, I guess the caption, that particular one for me was to just put a little bit of humor on it. You know, there's so much flipping doom and gloom around autism. And obviously, traditionally, the language around autism has always been very negative, but but wonderfully, that's increasingly changing more and more and, and ever frequently. So, and my daughter wears it because she wears it as a little crop top. So she's literally 17, six foot tall and wears a size seven to eight <laughs> t-shirt. And she just thinks it's cool and she knows that she can then tell them about her brother. And that that is, you know, in a nutshell, the beauty of siblings. <laughs> That's where we're at with that title. And I guess I'm talking about it today because it's, it's such a huge part of my world with Henry. But I also think it's sort of maybe the less understood or talked about it aspect of autism out there. You know, the spectrum is vast, as we know. But typically, autistic individuals who are non-verbal or non-speaking or minimally verbal or who have apraxia, <laughs> I'll go into that in a bit, are less talked about and less seen. Obviously, they're typically in, in specialist schools and it's a shame, really. And I think it needs to be, you know, it's the reason I'm here, telling my stories for other people to realize and understand what it's like. And it does not make my journey, if you're an autism parent listening to this, um, or parent of an autistic child, apologies. It does not mean my journey is any harder than yours. It, it absolutely does not. Communication is a tiny element <laughs> um, in, in the journey of autism. So yeah, you know, lately, going back to some of the language, I see sort of people referring to their children as non-speaking rather than non-verbal. And then I've also heard this word apraxia come up quite a bit. So I, I to be honest, I don't really know. Um, you know, Henry was, I was, we were told, basically that's Henry, nonverbal autism, but obviously he can use words and, and talk. <laughs> so I'll also go into that a bit. And I guess non-speaking potentially refers to, I mean, I don't know, I thought that nonverbal was more along the sort of minimally verbal, doesn't have actual difficulties with making, you know, physical impairments with speech making, and that non-speaking was completely non speaking dude does not speak a word um, but i actually think it might kind of be more interpreted the other way around <laughs> see how complicated it all is it's crazy and it's not the only wording around autism that that is confusing and and hopefully changing as well you know the whole high functioning low functioning again such negative use of wording aspergers we're no longer using for obvious reasons and I don't know. It's just, you know, as parents, we want to be able to help set other people's expectations when they meet our children, obviously without using negative words. I, I no longer use severely autistic or profound unless I really have to drive the message home to some stranger about the fact that my son is not going to answer their question and why. Eventually, and hopefully, we will reach language that will both satisfy the autistic individuals themselves and show them the respect they deserve as well as language that enables parents to accurately describe where the children are at. And increasingly, you know, it's looking like a very broad, you know, why not low support needs or high support needs. It, it instantly tells you more or less where they're at. And then and the rest can come down to a sort of individual one-on-one -on -one personal conversation that we have to start encouraging. We have to advocate for our children and start those conversations about them, but also encourage them themselves, you know, it's a, you know, and that's probably going to be our, our biggest journey, you know, um, 
again, happening at various stages, you know, them coming to their own acceptance of their autism and more importantly, to be absolutely 100% proud and confident in it. And, you know, of course, the language has to become more positive and of course it has to be language that they are happy with. We'll get there. We will. <laughs> I do sometimes wonder what people walk away thinking, you know, once they have met my son, Henry, and, and what they make of me saying, oh, he's nonverbal or non-speaking. A lot of the time it doesn't fully sink in. Obviously it wouldn't if it's something you've never heard really before. And, and time and time again, you know, I will say, this is my son, Henry, he's nonverbal, autistic. He goes to a specialist school, I often mention, because then that also helps them sort of pitch where he's at. And, but it also at the same time, makes them feel a little bit awkward because now they don't really that's not their world so they don't really know what to say so they try and be positive and go well he really likes his school and I go well I don't know because he's non-verbal <laughs> and you know and then and then it sinks in and it, it's not just that I'm totally okay with you know it's to be expected but it also definitely does not sink in with with professionals with the local authority with the GP and, and on the medical front with the police, we've had Henry escape. He went through a phase that I hope never returns of being quite the escape artist. And one of those occasions required the police being called. And okay, I know I'm getting on, but really every, <laughs> every policeman I've met in my local area basically looks like they're 10. Clearly had no idea. And, you know, whilst they may have heard of the word autism or they were aware of that people have different, you know, neurological differences, whatever, especially in their line of work, I, this insistence upon speaking to Henry and not, not listening to me. They just, they do not trust the parents in these situations at all. And it's infuriating. It's absolutely infuriating. And the number of forms I've had to reply going, you know, no, you can't meet with Henry or visit Henry or talk to Henry over Zoom, how many times do I have to say he is non-verbal? No, I can't fill in the ADHD questionnaire because he can't tell me if his tummy hurts when he's at school. You know what I mean? It's just, ugh. they just, yeah, crazy. So long way to go on that front. <laughs> and, and I will here and now tell you a few things that being non-verbal definitely does not mean. Okay, number one, it does not mean that my son is slow, uncomprehending, delayed, stupid, for lack of a you know, better word. I'm sure that's what kids at school would say. And, and to please right here and now know that every single fully non-speaking, minimally speaking, non-verbal, apraxic, autistic person is fully 100% competent. Know that and start to believe it. Full stop, yeah? Number two, it does not mean that Henry cannot actually create or say words and sounds due to a sort of physical disability. He can actually make words and say words. Number three, it does not mean that he is not listening or understanding. Trust me, <laughs> I did not give this boy enough credit for how too many years. He knows exactly what is going on and what is being said around him. When it comes to things not being on his terms and me needing to communicate things to him that are probably not going to be on his terms or where he's not just being allowed to tune in in the background 
then absolutely, then I absolutely do have to change my communication. I have to um, adjust, reduce my words. And I know, I know people in my own family feel like I'm treating him as though he's a baby. But genuinely, again, a little bit more trust for the parent, please. <laughs> I know there are times when Henry really struggles to process information. Um, and, and especially when it's not going to be on something on his terms or to his liking. Um, and four, number four, he is absolutely, being nonverbal does not mean that Henry is refusing to talk. It is not a choice. He is not being difficult. It is not a question of, oh, he can, he just won't. Okay, definitely not. Um, you know, for granny and granddad out there. <laughs> it is a motor thing. Yeah, the words are there and often so is the desire to say them. He simply cannot or he has extreme difficulty in getting his body, i.e. his mouth, to obey and move. Yeah, mouth, your mouth is one thing. Making speech with your mouth is a whole other level of extremely complex motor skill. He, he has also very cleverly <laughs> figured out over the years that obviously gestures, eye contact, noises, movements, even basic tiny movements can communicate so much without the strain and frustration that it is for him and the difficulty to use words. And often those things are way quicker too. I mean, you know, if you think about it, all of us, less than 40% of what we all communicate is through actual words and speech. It, it really is mind-boggling. You, you forget about all the other things we use to communicate. And, um, you know, you're driving and you've got three kids in the backseat of the car and one's, you know, jibber-jabbering or fidgeting or annoying the other one. And the other one will just go, ah! And, I mean, that noise has just said, like, two whole sentences, you know. You're really bugging me. Stop it. I'm annoyed. It's frustrating me. Please be quiet. We're driving in the car. I can't deal with this. You know what I mean? And that's just that that sound. I mean, Henry can move his arm in a fashion in the car and we know instantly he wants the window open or closed. So much easier. So clever. <laughs> Coming up to next, I, I'll, I'll actually read it off my phone, um, is this thing about apraxia that I've, I'm fairly new to. So, um, yeah, just to say again, obviously, this is a topic I um, talk about a lot and I have written about quite a bit as well. I often rewrite, well, not rewrite, but turn my podcast episodes into blogs. But on the website, www.autismthreads.co.uk, you will find a host of other blogs that I've been writing for years, really. So if you're looking for specifically um, something to do around the nonverbal. There, there's more than one blog. I'm quite sure of that. <laughs> so, right, apraxia from Google says apraxia is the loss of ability to execute or carry out skilled movement and gestures despite having the physical ability and desire to perform them. Um, I then found another one that said apraxia is different from aphasia. Goodness knows what that is in that it is not an impairment of linguistic capabilities, but rather of the more motor aspects of speech production. And then, then I went on, did a bit more digging about apraxia in autism, because apraxia is often a disorder linked to brain injury. So this article was on speech apraxia in autism, also known as apraxia of speech, or verbal apraxia, childhood apraxia of speech, 
slash cares or acquired apraxia of speech. It is a disorder of sounds associated with using verbal language. Someone with this condition has difficulty saying what they want to say out loud, clearly and consistently. This is often described as the brain knowing language and sentence structure and creating what it wants to say, but being unable to properly plan out the sequence of words to make speech. Apraxia still involves the person having some level of spoken language rather than being non-verbal. So, I mean, that's Henry for me. Well, now I have to say he's apraxic, I guess. <laughs> right, there you go. Lots on Google for you to look up if you uh, want to look in, uh, into that any further. You know, uh, around Henry's vocabulary, uh, that is absolutely huge. You know, from, from the books we've read, it, you know, everything is retained to all the stories and cartoons and film clips he watches on his iPad. He's fantastic at echolalia. He will often use that increasingly inappropriate situations. You know, I'll pull into the petrol station and just in a flat American cartoon clip from somewhere accent, he'll go, oh, look, we're at the gas station. You know, it's just hilarious, but um, wonderful that he, make, he makes correct associations at times. He is interestingly actually very drawn to words. They fascinate him, especially expressive words exclamations and you know language uh, <clears throat> needless to say he can swear in a perfect south african accent that the whole family knows who he got it from <clears throat> yours truly and her road rage and you know it just kind of again how, how do we not trust how fully competent he was since he has all these words it's the the social communication that henry cannot do and that i think is where the nonverbal word comes in. You know, Henry cannot answer a question, one, because he has very cleverly figured out the tone of a question. And it's astonishing how many British people talk in questions. You know, hi, Henry, isn't it a lovely sunny day today? <laughs> he can pick up on the tone of a question and he immediately knows that there is an expectation for him to answer because that's what a question requires an answer and he just puts up the brick wall no way so henry you know oh, hello what's your name how old are you what's your mum's name where do you live are never going to be answered unfortunately and that you know when you have a child who's escaped um, <clears throat> more than once that's pretty worrying and in any kind of emergency situation people would not be able to help so yeah the other thing about his communication is that being autistic means he is incredibly literal, probably more so than others. And that is always going to impact. Uh, there is this, this amazing book. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it. I've, I've struggled to find it on Amazon, but I do have a copy at home with, filled with diagrams that this boy drew to help him understand the language that we use. And honestly, he, the drawings are disturbing but also hilarious and what's more disturbing is the fact that we neurotypicals all use them I mean where we got them from why we say them when they are so illogical and crazy I, I just don't know so he drew pictures to help him understand um, and to help him get less distressed obviously because what do we say we go oh I'm so hungry I could eat a horse and he has drawn a picture of humans like cooking and eating a horse that's pretty distressing yeah or oh my word, there's a massive thunderstorm, it is raining cats and dogs. And this boy has drawn cats and dogs falling from the sky and hitting the pavement. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm funny, but traumatic. <laughs> 
I, I do this all the time. I mean, how many years now? And I still get it wrong. And I, it's always in those moments when I'm kind of really need Henry to be doing something and he's not the only person on the agenda. And it's just like, Henry, hang on a minute. And he's like, uh, I can just see him sort of look up briefly. Hang, hang on to what? You know, <laughs> all that kind of language we use is extremely difficult for their brains to translate. And then you sort of think of the low support needs children in mainstream schools, particularly in those early teen years, trying to keep up with the social chit chats at break time. Can you imagine the way the way the banter just flies back and forth or the, the lingo and these meaningless words teenagers throw at each other? Um, and the joking and whether or not to take it literally or not. Can you imagine trying to keep up with that as an autistic person? Crazy, so, so difficult um, and exhausting. For me personally, with Henry, the frustrations have been absolutely immense and, and on both sides. What, what do I do to help? What, what does a day in my home, you know, in our house with someone who is nonverbal look like? You can imagine how frustrating it would be. Henry, what would you like on your toast? And he can't answer. So I guess, and it's not what he wanted. And now he doesn't know how to say that's not what I wanted. Yeah, that's just, that's just one moment <laughs> in a day. I hope I can shed some, you know, light on a few of the things we've done. Some of them, you know, all of them have been learned out of necessity. I haven't kind of read books and sought professional advice. You just learn to figure it out because it's extremely important to Henry that I understand what his needs are. And it's extremely important to me too. I want this boy to be happy, regulated, healthy. So, so first and foremost has been a routine, a really solid, good routine. And I don't mean down to the minute, unreasonable things that that, that would impact the rest of the family. Just that kind of really foundation routine. You know, you wake up, you have breakfast. After that, you get dressed and brush your teeth you know those those basic elements as you know even just when that happens every morning and you know to expect it and you trust it then then there's no need to to struggle with the words you know to wake up and try and tell your mum that you want breakfast and and again in the holidays when these things slip and slide that that's when you know you can't you just can't let that routine go for more than a day or two, depending on the child. I mean, we, we, we could never, I mean, it's not, and we don't like a right 7 a.m. wake up, but within a, within a window and when Henry wakes up, we, it's breakfast first, always. Um, so a good routine. Again, his brain, if he didn't bath, he would not then know that bedtime was coming. So absolute disaster situation when he was younger, going to a friend's house for lunch. Henry, you know, remarkably being great and enjoying himself. And we decide to stay and have a drink and go beyond his bedtime. And I just put him in pajamas, brought him home. Oh my word. <laughs> Not good. Not good. And and now I get it, you know. I I guess again here under under what have we done to help is, is me learning to trust him a bit more, trust the way he needs things to be, trust that. There's no ill intentions. Trust that he is not wanting to make things difficult. Trust that that he is who he is. Believe, believe the impact for him if it doesn't go, you know, the way it's meant to. He also, we've learned over the years, uses visual objects as a form of information or cue about what's happening, almost like an instruction. So the moment he sees his backpack, 
he knows he's going in a taxi to school, for instance, or the other backpack we use, he knows he's going in our car and he will instantly manage that transition. All he needs to do is see the backpack. When I start, especially, you know, I mean, occasionally I can obviously use shorter language, Henry, and again, first and then, you know, those sentences have been absolutely epic and we still use them now. Henry, first car, then shops. Just helping set his expectations. And over the years, obviously, the shops can mean a whole host of different things that he might not necessarily trust. But over the years, he's as he's developed, it's got, you know, a little bit easier. And again, if it's a long journey, just break it up. First car, then tunnel train. And when we're on the tunnel train, I'll go first tunnel train, then car in France, you know, then then first car, then hotel. Again, when you're out of that home routine, I've learned to sort of remind him what time of day it is for him, worry at home. So we'll get out the car en route somewhere and go snack time. And Henry knows, okay, that's kind of the afternoon before, sometime before supper type of thing. How how do I know this when he can't tell me? <laughs> I don't know. It's just you just I just we just read each other um, <laughs> a lot, um, and we're both fully invested in it. You know, I, I can definitely and it does. I mean, consistency. I I am that consistent person in his life. I can pick up on where he's at emotionally or or why he's done something way before the rest of the other members in the family doesn't make me some sort of saint or special whiz it's just because I have to he trusts me um and and it's important so yeah I've just we're deeply in tune with each other and I have tuned into the noises he makes and and I think I wouldn't I wouldn't automatically know and I mean honestly some days there's three four five occasions where I totally I'm totally blown out I don't know what I don't know what the deal is just have to get through it is that routine, you know, so I kind of, because the routine's there, I'll, I'll know, oh yes, those noises, he's getting a bit hungry, and think, oh yeah, he didn't eat his lunch, that much lunch, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm jabbering. <laughs> Other things I've done to help is just learning to, you know, not sweat the small stuff, no day is going to be perfect, to not let myself as much as possible spiral down like I, I'm so good at doing, why can't I get it right, why didn't I fix it why why is he doing this why 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 it it, it will just drive you mad (laughs) turning that sort of need for why and figuring things out into more of a curiosity being curious about things rather than trying to fix situations or, or stop him from doing certain things and and he absolutely has I mean I never thought this would happen I hated even allowing myself to hope when I spoke to parents through markets and events who have much older children, who absolutely, categorically, 100% of the time have told me how lovely their child is as as an adult, how much calmer, more settled, more regulated, more tolerant, more pliable, you know, just lovely human beings at whatever their stage of progress is. And whilst it absolutely did give me hope and it's wonderful to hear there were times when things were so bad with Henry that I didn't want to I thought no I can't I can't because this is this is who he is now and I think ours is different and every autistic child is different and we're never going to get there but remarkably the change in the last year since he turned 12 has been astonishing I was expecting total trauma and maybe that's still to come with puberty but he absolutely is. This last summer holiday, he is a little bit more patient. He's a little bit more in tune with me. He's a little bit more uh, tolerant. He's a little bit more forgiving. He's a little bit more 
calm it just yeah really good stuff so um so don't lose hope and right before i end off just to let you know that through this podcast wonderfully i have been approached by a couple of people to come in and do a talk to parents um, both occasions one was an autism support group another was a group for um you know run through the gp's surgery and i absolutely loved doing it and i would love to come and talk to anybody who wants to talk to me um i can come to your home with just two or three of you i could you know come to a support group i would be very very happy to do that i think we need to connect as parents we need to be felt like we've been heard so yes i'm very happy to do that if you need to contact me my email address is trish t-r-i-s-h at autismthreads.co.uk and ending off just to say that Henry, you know, gosh, he, this boy, and, and I'm sure other parents of autistic children feel this too, no matter no matter where on the spectrum they are, he, he is completely on a higher plane. He he is he is superior <laughs> in every aspect to, to us, his immediate family. I think at times we bemuse him, we definitely frustrate him, we definitely I think at times he's a bit bored by us. It's just constantly waiting for us to catch up and click on to the fact that his brain is just so much way ahead of ours and and on a much higher higher plane absolutely and you know we we have become fascinated by that and we have so much respect for this boy um you know one for for how his brain does actually work two for how he manages to cope in a world not suited to that brain you know he's just he's just an astonishing little boy so yeah every time you get into into the mindset of an autistic brain, you, you realize, yep, yep, no, they're good, they're right, yep, they must think we are absolutely ridiculous, the rest of us mere mortals. <laughs> so yes, ending off there, have a good couple of weeks, and remember, you are not alone, and your child is going to be okay.